Hey, my name is Kyle Kelly. I'm the pastor of Leadership and Equipping, and I get the opportunity and the privilege to be able to teach this morning. Pastor Jason is out of town. He is in the dreadlit lands of Colorado. He has to stay up in those mountains and be in the altitude and the cool weather and all that stuff that's such a pain. But he is up there to teach a youth camp this week. He's got kids from all over the state of Colorado are going to come in and hear the Word of God. So we're excited for him. We want to pray for him. It's going to be a great uh, a week for him. He's actually doing two weeks for them in the Colorado camp, and so we're excited about that. Um, so I want to pray before we get started. Many of you may have been involved or had your kids involved this week at Camp in the City. It was awesome. Yeah? Great, Donna. Thanks for... I, I, yeah, you ignored me every day when I dropped off. Okay, good. Um, she gives me the hand. She's not excited that I'm waving and knocking on her window, yelling, hey, that's great. Day two. All right. So um, uh, we had a great week. Uh, our church has been seven years that we've hosted camp in the city, and uh, it is an amazing, amazing week. We saw all these kids have an incredible time. It's lots and lots and lots of fun, but they get the gospel of Jesus Christ very clearly taught to them. And uh, if you like really loud noises and fifth grade girls that can shriek at a, at a level that causes your ears to bleed, you should have been on campus all week because that was loud, fun, crazy, wet, dirty. Our building crew had a lot of cleaning up to do after they left. It was great. But we want to pray for them because God did some really cool things. A number of our kids came to Christ, and so that's an awesome experience for them. And so, yeah, we're really happy about that. Um, and we know that a number of kids took a step closer to understanding Christ, and they've got some great knowledge. A number of those kids involved the week come to our church. They're here on a regular basis. A number of them go to other churches in town, and several, quite a few, just come to camp in the city, and they're not connected to a church. And so we want to pray that what God did in their lives would be the catalyst for even more growth and maybe changing their family. So if you'll pray with me for just a minute, we're going to pray for the kids for camp in the city. Father, we are grateful for the heritage that this organization, Pine Cove, has put together years ago. We thank you for their vision for camp in the city and recruiting fantastic young people to be the counselors to come in. They're well-prepared, trained. They love kids. There are a lot of excitement. There's great things that happen. But the most important and the best thing was life change. Father, kids that came to know you and they're, they're, they moved from the unbelieving, unknown um, a relationship with you to knowing you and walking with you, we pray, God, that you continue to grow. We thank you for those that are far from you. They got closer. We just thank you for the great work. Help us as a church uh, and, and all the churches that, that had kids in 10, but help us to, to nurture and to, to work in these kids and to help them grow in their faith. And also pray for those students that came that do not have faith-based homes, and they are kind of on their own with this new knowledge. Pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work there. Thank you, God, for what you did. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm really excited to have an opportunity to teach in week two of this. If you were here last week, uh, I'm going to kind of... Um, kind of set the course for where Pastor Jason was. If you weren't here, you can easily get caught up. But what we decided to do in this series, and I just think the Lord really worked it all out, gave Pastor Jason this vision of this series called, called Head on a Swivel. And so he used the illustration last week when he was playing football in high school, which by the way, I know that he and I, we get interchanged all the time. People think that we're the same guy. You know, we're physically very similar. He played baseball in college. I went to college. You know, he... Uh, we're very, very similar, except he's smarter, faster, taller, more athletic, better with chicks. No, 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 no. Anyway, so the, um, I love him, just jealous a little bit of his manliness. Um, so it takes, he's a big guy, so it takes all week to love him. I mean, you gotta, 
Can't, anyway, so I'll change the subject. So anyway, he sets out last week with this idea that sometimes we just get stuck in tunnel vision. We just see certain things and we stay in that track. And so he used the illustration in a football game on a Friday night, important playoff game. He's playing quarterback. He drops back to the throw. He's watching his receiver running from the right side, waiting for him to open, to get clear and throw the pass. The defender comes around the other side of the defense, comes and just lights him up in the back, causes a fumble, the, the drive stalls, and they uh, don't get to score before halftime. Great story. Great analogy of just locked in, not thinking of the surroundings, but also hoping your lineman on the other end can hold his block just long enough so you can make the throw, because ultimately the story is about a lineman blowing it. Seriously. <laughs> if you're a lineman, it'd be your fault, so just take responsibility. Um, but I have a very similar one, but mine didn't happen on a Friday night in a playoff game, and it wasn't me being the star quarterback. It, 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 it's very different from what Pastor Jason shared, by the way. But in practice one time, um, we, were, we, were, we were playing. If you don't know a lot about football, uh, the defense has these guys on the outside. They're called cornerbacks, and sometimes people that don't know football think that's the same as a quarterback. Corner and quarter is very different. And so my job is to watch the receiver and then see if it's a run or a pass. And my receiver takes off. I look and see it's a run. So I leave him alone, and I start going. Remember, we're in practice. This is in, this, these are my players. These are my teammates. But I'm, I'm running down the play. The guy runs through the line. He goes around the corner, and I'm going towards the angle, and I'm the only guy left to get him to make the tackle. And so I'm zoned in. I'm laser-focused. I'm going to nail this guy. We're going to stop this play. It's going to be a da-da-da, da-da-da moment, you know, in Sports Center for you guys. Okay, anyway, so going, going towards this... And, and I'm, I'm just focused on, I've got to run as hard as I can, and i also got to make sure that he doesn't kind of slow down and then cut back around me. And So there's a lot going on in my head, but all I can think about is that guy. What I forgot was that this receiver runs out behind me, and I leave him completely behind, and I'm running this way. He has run all the way down the field and run around, and he's now behind me. So here comes the runner this way. I'm going like this, and man, I did not have any idea he was there. And he plants, he gets all ready, and he just unloads on me, hits me right in the ear hole. My body just explodes. My head's rolling around in the mud. We put it back on. So, you know, it was, it was ugly. Anyway, I'm just, I mean, just this massive explosion. And I, honestly, having been the one that did it, it wasn't that cool. But had I had it on video to look later, it would be so cool because it was awesome. And so you guys know if you're big football fans, you see a big play. Even when your own guy gets nailed, you back it up and want to watch that four or five times. Well, that's what happens. And all I know is, man, my whole body hurts, and I'm just like in a bundle of mud, just mess, and I can hear one voice, and it's that dad that always comes to practice, sits on the tailgate of his El Camino, and he's sitting there watching. It's right in front of him, and all I can hear is going, whoa, that was awesome, great hit. And in my head, I'm thinking, hey, what about me? And it was, I mean, I hurt so bad, knocked the air out of me. I thought I was going to die. It was just the most horrible explosion of my life. And, uh, and yet everybody's high-fiving and leaving me there, and they just kind of drug me off the side. And, reminder, this was my teammate. This wasn't the other team that hurt me. My own team hurt me on this. But that idea of being laser-focused and forgetting there's other things, other obstacles that can happen. So I am not exactly the athlete that um, Pastor Jason is. I, I still have all four years of eligibility for college sports. <laughs> not many people can claim that, but I have that if I ever want to get back in. Um, but when I was in Little League, I wasn't really the sharpest baseball player either. You know that idea? If you guys know anything about baseball, I played in right field. You know in Little League why there's a right fielder? Because they got to put you somewhere. Nobody hits the ball to right field, so you just stand there all day going, all right, you know. 
And then when you go to bat, they don't think you're going to be able to hit, and everybody's going, easy out, easy out. And you're like, man, that kind of hurts my feelings. And the outfields come into the infield, and infielders are standing around me going through my pockets. <laughs> hey, that's my gum, you know, kind of deal. Um, so I can't really uh, e- explain that problem to you other than my coaches always told me, get your head off the swivel and pay attention. Because I was always looking, hey, I know that guy over there. That's so-and-so's mom or whatever. So let me share with you a couple of things. Last week, Pastor Jason made this statement that is our objective in this series. And it is this, that we have a missional obligation to care for people. Okay? That is the mission of every believer, to care for people. It's not to be smarter It's not to look more godly. It's not to perform better. It's not to dress like the good Christian culture tells you to. It's not to perform in some kind of religious activities. It is to care for people. That was Jesus' mission, and it's our mission. And the the idea of uh, of the series is getting your head on a swivel that you're looking around and you're noticing instead of just being this tunnel vision track. Sometimes we get that way, and we just go about the life. You know, we, we get up in the morning and we drag ourselves to the coffee pot and we get ourselves some coffee and then we kind of go into the kids' rooms and we wake them up and tell them it's time for school and then they get their lunch and they get their backpack and they get in the car and we drop them off and we go to work and we pick them up later and then we see them that evening and we go to bed and we just keep repeating. It's just the same routine. And I really think what the Lord wants us to talk about today is this idea that we have our head on a swivel in our own family. Whether it be in your home or your extended family, or someone that you treat like family, that we would have that ability to see that we are obligated to care for people. It's an easy thing to say, but it's a complicated thing to do sometimes. So my family and I watched this movie recently. It's the the movie about Benghazi and no political involvement whatsoever in what I'm trying to say, but the the idea that there were some men, specifically six defense contractors or or, or, uh, hired um, bodyguards by the defense department to guard the CIA complex. And you have all these people from the CIA that are working in this complex that are collecting data, building relationships, doing stuff for the government, and, but they're not military defense kind of guys. They are just people that work in, in relationships and stuff like that. And so they have these bodyguards, these men that are highly equipped and highly trained to defend them. And in the movie, it ends up these guys stay on these rooftops and they get into several gunfights and spend hour after hour after hour defending this complex so that these CIA employees can survive and be rescued. And at no time during that do they stop and say, I wonder what's going on at home. Or, hey, I don't really like being shot at. I think I'll just crawl down off this rooftop and let everybody fend for themselves. It just reminded me of the urgency of staying focused on your task. And they stay there, life at risk and death and all the things, and they do their very, very best to do their job. And I think God is calling us to realize that our job is to be missional, on mission with Him, to care about people. And the other thing that came to mind is in men's Bible study yesterday morning, a guy mentioned this about how God sees them. And, and I'm watching this movie, and I'm watching our military personnel do phenomenal work and take on hundreds and hundreds of armed um, uh, thugs, terrorists, whatever you call them, trying to take over this compound. And they're standing on these rooftops and they're shooting. And, and you kind of have, I don't know if you probably are more godly than I am, but you kind of have that sense when one guy gets shot and their body kind of comes apart and you're like, yeah, there's another one. And yeah, there's another one. And, and you're kind of cheering for what you consider to be the good guys. 
And yesterday a guy mentioned, he said, but you know, every one of those guys that died were children that God desired to have a relationship with. He had created them. No matter how confused or how evil or how messed up or how focused on the other things they were, that God sees them as people that he wants to have a relationship with. He created them, and through the culture and through whatever, they've kind of gotten themselves to be an enemy of God, but he never desired for them to perish without knowing him. And so one of the keys is that we would see people as God sees them. We would see opportunities in our family as God sees them. So I'm going to read several passages this morning. They're going to be up on the screen, um, but I'm going to read these to you. It's the end of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians and the beginning of chapter 6. And it talks about the family and how God created us in a relationship. So verse 21 of chapter 5 of Ephesians says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he's obviously talking about believers, those that know him, know Christ, that we are to submit ourselves in reverence, which is out of respect, that we would acknowledge there's a relationship. It's a give and take. It's a working relationship. It's not set up as some kind of um, hierarchy or some kind of battle. In verse 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you, do, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, I love when I teach this passage. Every time we teach this passage, there's always this moment of wives or, or women going, oh, there's that word submit. And you see some of the husbands going, hey, pay attention. Because it sounds like on the surface that Paul is just a guy that doesn't really care that much about women, that he's kind of an egomaniac and he just likes this masculine in environment and he likes the wife to be subservient and, and second. It's not that at all. What he says is next sets it all in perspective. Verse 25, husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. So we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, it says, but I'm, ta I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you should also, or must also, love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Listen, you may be going, man, that's just a lot. What does that mean? Super simple. The man has a huge responsibility to lay down his life for that of his wife. That he will serve her, he will adore her, he will do anything to, to protect, to provide, to secure, whatever it is. He is that trained military operative on the top of that roof, and she is that CIA asset that's so important inside that building. He'll run to the battle. He'll step between the bullet. He'll intervene in an argument. He will, do, he will do whatever it takes to sacrifice his own wants and desires for what's better for her. So we use this term a lot, and sometimes people don't like it because it sounds like a king or a queen or some kind of relationship, but the man's job is to rule for her benefit, that he would be the one that takes responsibility to make sure that his wife is provided for and cared for and encouraged and built up and edified and made great. 
But at the same time, you can't take it as a woman and say, well, I don't do anything. He better do it all. And he makes me great. No, no, no. We're, we're a relationship. Remember, this is a covenant relationship. It's very important. But in the ultimate sense, if there's a one-one tie, the guy's supposed to have a little bit more responsibility to make that final decision. And it always needs to be for her best. It's never to be in your own gain. That's a tough place, man. I don't, know if, I don't know how I would take it if I was a woman to hear that, but as a man, I'm going, wow, that's a heavy responsibility. I have a big burden to be a man that God wants me to be, that I can stand on the top of those rooftops and I can defend my wife when she's being attacked, that I'll be there. I'll be the guy that is, is, is fearless and, and, and hungry and tired and, and just exhausted from standing on point of protecting my family. But I'll do it because that's what God equipped me to do. That's what God called me to do. Now, one of the things that, that I really like is when you get into chapter 6. So it starts off with this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. So this is where, kids, you want to look over at your parents and say, I'm sorry that I didn't listen to everything you've ever told me. No, not really, because I know you're not going to do it anyway. I'm just kidding. Okay. This is where parents go, yeah, that's right, pay attention. You need to be listening to this. And every night, if you've had a quiet time or a family devotional with your family, this is the passage you read every time. I just open, son. I don't know why I'm reading this to you again. But verse 4, fathers, get ready. Here's the kick in the pants. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bringing them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. What that means is you do not confuse them. You are not given permission to be changing from day to day. You can't be loving and kind one day and judgmental and harsh the next. Our goal and our responsibility is to be steady and consistently love, protect, and defend and promote our children. That we would do that without hesitation. The best illustration for me is I was always pretty good in math, but for some reason, my greatest frustrations in all of my academics is in math. When a new idea was presented, and they're up on the board, and they're just going, and they're just like whipping it out, and the teacher's just like, uh, you know, this is what da-da-da-da, and the kids are like, oh, yeah, that's great, and I'm going, what are you talking about? Because I can't grasp that. That's the exasperating moment of, I can't understand what's going on around me, and it says, fathers, you can't do that, that we have to be so steady in providing for our family that encouragement, that support, and then here's where it gets really weird in chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do whether they are free or slave. Now, I always qualify this because the slavery in the, in the uh, Scripture has multiple components. It does have the similar slave, forced slavery as we had in America, which was atrocious, unacceptable. We do not enslave people as a godly principle. That would be an ungodly principle. Um, but there is some of that in this context of slavery. There's also the self-submitted slave, which we call a bond servant. They come and make a business agreement with you and say, listen, I will serve you if you will 
give me a little bit of money, but housing and food, I will work for you. And I commit myself to this period of time. There was also generational slavery where you were born into a slave family, and so therefore your kids were enslaved as well. So it's never a really good thing, but it's interesting that through the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life, he decides, he's talked about husbands and wives, he's talked about parenting and children, and now he talks about slaves. And in the very next passage in verse 9, it says this, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he, is in, that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. He says this to the master. Listen, you have a responsibility as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to act like a Christ follower in your relationship to your slaves. You have no right to treat them ruthlessly as a normal slave master might because they don't know Christ. As a Christ follower, you are held to a totally different responsibility level. Slave, same thing. You should live your life in such a way that you might win the favor of your master and they would see the Savior in you that might make them see the attraction of Christ living through your life. Notice he doesn't say, hey, slave, break away, run away, be free, set yourself out. Get out of the bondage that you're in. He says, I want you to work where you are, and I want you to shine that light. You should be a godly example in every relationship. So how does that apply to us? Listen, people are watching how you live your life as a follower of Christ. People are paying attention. The people in your home know your heart. They see it every day. There's a confusion sometimes in our home of what we say, what we teach, what we present at church, and how we act at home. Now listen, we're all going to blow it, okay? Everybody's going to be bad. Uh, they're going to live in the flesh, and we're going to say things we shouldn't say and do things we shouldn't do. But our goal would be to always be rising above that fleshly desire, that fleshly understanding, and go to the spiritual part of it. Not performance, but true work of the Spirit. That we would have homes that are full of love and encouragement. What is the home supposed to be? It's supposed to be the representation of what the heavenly Father does for His children, what the earthly Father would do for their children. That we would serve them, protect them, and guide them, hold them when they have hurts, encourage them when we uh, have opportunity. There's two words that I want to share with you today, and you'll know both of them, but the first one is the word encouragement. That means to affirm things that are already true in their life. So if they have a really generous spirit, uh, as soon as they get things, they want to give it away. You encourage them in that and say, hey, I love to see your generous heart. I love it when you get money for your birthday and you immediately want to give it to somebody else or help somebody with it. I want to affirm that in you. I want to encourage that in you because I see that as a truth that's there. But I want to verbalize that so you'll hear it, not just think it or perceive that it might be, but I'm going to affirm in you that I see that in you. And I affirm your kindness. I affirm your generosity. I affirm your, your um, obedience. I, you know, I, I want to affirm those things. To exhort or exhortation is to encourage what you see could be true as that that they have now will come into fullness. To say to a three-year-old, I love it when you take money and put it in the offering plate or put it in our money or our my best boxes at church. I love how you're generous with that. I see one day God's probably going to use your generosity in other people's lives. You begin to raise their eye from what they only see here and begin to have spiritual eyes of what could happen in the future. We need to have that in our home. Who doesn't want to be encouraged? We want to have affirmation in our life. We want to have that exhortation in our life. People are looking. People outside our home are watching. 
The lost world, the anti-Christian world is watching the church. Say, hey, here's your message, but here's your action. Here's what you say you believe, but this is how you treat me. How do we reconcile that? And so what they do is they just go, that's just a bunch of hypocrites. And yeah, we're all hypocritical. We all say we want certain things, but we don't actually do those. But people are watching, and inside our home, we need to take every opportunity that we can possibly do to invest in those that we have responsibility for. You may not have anybody in your home, but you still have that that opportunity to invest in somebody that may be close to you. So we need to look at others as Christ sees them. We want to see them as Christ sees them. We want to see our kids that way. So one of my favorite illustrations is this. I'm not... Um, I'm not a real tough guy. I, I, I enjoy things. I'm very passionate about things. I get super excited about things. Um, but there are times in your life when life just gets really difficult and it's just rough. And, and what do you really want at that point? You don't really want somebody to come and give you advice. You just say, hey, can, can you just spend some time with me? Can you just listen to what I have to say? Um, my kids, when they were a lot littler and, and things were really rough and they'd had a bad day, sometimes they just want you to hold them. Just let them crawl up in your lap. My son was having a real rough day a couple of years ago, and, it's just, and he's, he's pretty big at the time, but it was just really emotionally been a bad day. And, and I tried to encourage him with words. I, I tried to say the right thing, and it's just not getting through. And I just went and got him, and I kind of picked him up and just sat down in a chair and held him in my lap like he was a baby. And all of a sudden, things just begin to still. Because somebody's there as your protector. Somebody's there that cares and can embrace you. Somebody gets the agony and the anxiety and the pain and the frustration. Sometimes we just, we just need somebody to engage us. Now, it would be really awkward if I walked in the office and Howard was having a bad day. And I just picked him up, <laughs> brought him to my lap, and we sat down. And It'd be awkward, Yeah. So we don't do that real often. Now, Jason could pick us all up and hold us at the same time. But, you know, there's the appropriate response of what we do to defend, to protect, to instill what, what our kids are looking for. If you'll let me get one more passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. It'll be on the screen as well. But this is when the Israelites are moving into the promised land. And God gives them direct teaching of what they need to do to establish this new community, new nation in a physical location. He says this, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. This is where it gets really important, guys. These commands that I give you today are to be on your heart. This is us receiving the message. should be on our heart so that we can impress them on our children. We can talk about them when we sit at home, when we walk along the road, when we lie down, or when we get up. 
That is the first understanding of the early family settlement structure that God designed to be the most equipping location in our lifetime. Several semesters ago, we had a men's Bible study, and there's about 65 guys in the room, and I said, how many of you would say that you have kind of a dysfunctional relationship with your dad, you have a father wound, some things didn't go the way you really would like, and you just don't have a great relationship or it didn't go the way you want it? About 85% of the men raised their hand in that room. It just breaks your heart that our home that God established to be the center point of his work, his ministry, his love, his value in our acceptance is one of the places that ends up being more dysfunctional than any other place. I feel like today what the Lord's really telling us is we need to focus on what's up close. See what's around us and minister there. I've said this before. If you've worked with kids, you've done a kids camp, you've, you've, you've been a school teacher, you have influence, great influence on young people's lives. But it's not the same influence that a godly, loving, Christ-centered home should be for them as well. We ought to be equipping kids to leave our home and launch into success as young adults because we've equipped them with the love, the knowledge, and the capacity to be those kind of servants. So I've got two action steps that I want today as we close. The first one is super simple. I want you to be looking for places to bless people. Be looking to bless. So here's my illustration. If I were to tell you today, I've got five $100 gift cards for each, body, each person in here. Everybody gets, gets five, and I want you to go out. In the next seven days, I want you to give those away to people that really need it. Don't give them spouses, give them to each other. <laughs> although you may need it, but think in terms of really having your eyes on the lookout of how can I find people that really need this $100 card? How am I going to go do that? I'm going to be on the lookout. I'm going to have those in my hand or in my pocket, you know, and, and I'm going to be looking. I'm going to really be watching maybe some of those panhandlers on the street corners or maybe somebody at HEB or somebody at Walmart or you know, somebody you see on the side of the road or a neighbor you know is going through a tough time. You're going to be looking for opportunities. You don't have a gift card in your hand, but you've got the love of Christ that you and I should be looking for opportunities to bless. And the second one is this, never waste an opportunity to love. Never waste an opportunity when your kids are leaving the house to give them an extra hug, even though they don't like it and they freeze up and they kind of stand there. I'd rather they they reject a hug than to feel rejected because they didn't get a hug. I'd rather you engage in their lives and ask them about things that may bore you beyond belief. I love it when my son comes and talks to me about things and shows he's watched. I have no idea what he's talking about. He's telling me, oh yeah, when John did this and then Sally did this and all of a sudden, you'll never believe Marlena showed up. And I'm like, awesome. I don't know what show you're talking about. But as I learn that show and he talks about it, there's an interaction that wouldn't have happened if I didn't take the interest to try to figure out what he's talking about and engage in what he's engaged in. So as we finish today, here in just a moment, I'm going to have you stand, and our ministry team is going to come up, and I'll give you some instruction on that. But I, I want to take just a second to put this hashtag up on the screen. And I took some time in the first services to explain this a little bit. When we did the Tweet That Mess series, we asked how many people are on Twitter, and both of you seem to really respond well to that. Okay? There's not as many people on social media as we thought, but this works not only with Twitter, but Instagram and uh, Facebook. But if you don't understand what hashtag is, that is what you need to type in, that pound sign and those numbers. And if you will do this, we want to capture the work and the love of God being distributed in your lives on pictures. 
Now, what I don't want you to do is I don't want you to mow somebody's yard and say, hey, I need to take a picture so I can get credit at my church for being a great servant, okay? But you could take a picture of the lawn and say, hey, I had an opportunity today to do something cool. And you put that hashtag on there. When you type that in your search on whatever social media you're using, it'll pull up everybody that's tagged it with that line, and you'll be able to see them all listed right there together. If it's on Facebook and you're not friends, you'll never see it. So we want to do that as a, an ability to kind of have some synergy of what God is doing this summer. So you have a challenge. Find some way to serve and then put it on social media. And if you don't know how to do it, find a 12-year-old. They'll do it for you, okay? And if you're still using cameras with film in it, just skip this whole part altogether, okay? All right. So as, as we get ready to close, I want you to do this. If you'll stand, ministry team, if you'll come forward, uh, we try to explain this every week. We love the opportunity for some of the men and women of our church that have volunteered to go to training, to be committed to prayer, to help those that may need some prayer or encouragement. That's who comes up here every week, this ministry team. Uh, I always say they're not super saints, although they're awesome, but they're here for anybody that wants somebody to pray with them. Maybe you're going through a tough time, a struggle, something harsh has gone on, you're having trouble in a relationship, or maybe you think you've blown it in the opportunities that you're supposed to have. And you just say, you know what, I just want the Lord to help me have forgiveness. I want him to help me go forward. That's what these guys are up here for. So please take advantage of them in here just a minute. We're going to dismiss in a second. And everybody's going to be heading that way. But if you need to pray with one of our ministry teams or just talk with them for a minute, come do that. And if you're a first-time guest here, some of our staff's going to be across the atrium in the garage. We would love to get a chance to meet you and say hi. Um, just know that you're here. We, we do care that you're here, and we're glad that you came. So let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for an amazing plan that you have for our lives, that our relationship should be good, we'd be healthy, we would love those that are in influence under us, that we have our kids or our neighbor's kids or uh, other people, that, Father, we would take advantage of that. Help us to keep that eye out for opportunities to serve and to love this summer like never before. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.